0: When Don Garber will stop this car right now if you don't start watching League's Cup. <laughs> it's That's so MLS, a North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hello,
1: hello, hello. Welcome back, everyone.
0: Uh, Nick, how are you? Yeah,
1: I'm doing okay. It was another uh, busy week and a bit of soccer, so lots to talk about um, and certainly some interesting results. Um, and some movement in the table.
0: That's right. I uh, I I even got to see some more live action this weekend, which was nice. More more UMB St John stuff.
1: Wonderful. And those are games you're you're calling, right?
0: Yeah, I'm doing the stadium announcing. So you know when somebody when somebody scores, I'll say I will basically do Don Andrews' whole bit. That's not true. That's not true. But much respect. But, but you do
1: for it. it in your head, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you know, matters do, most.
0: I do the yeah. I, I do the starting lineups, and I do the you know goal scored. Yeah. I usually go. I usually go pretty hard for the the home team goals with my karaoke my best karaoke growl.
1: <laughs> the karaoke growl. I love it.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, which is fun. Um you, we talked a little bit last week about the you know, you've you found yourself watching um Seattle versus Santos Laguna. Um mm-hmm. this uh this piqued my interest enough that when I when I so happened um to be riding on a uh a, a wave of energy coming off of AEW Dynamite Grand Slam uh on Wednesday. I uh, I, I decided to stick around <laughs> for the League's Cup final. Yeah. And, uh,
1: I mean, would it, first of all, what do you think? Did it live up to your expectations? What were your
0: expectations? Would it was fun. It was fun? It was fun. It was fine. It was fine, I fine. okay. I, <laughs> slightly different I than will, fun. I will have to say that I think that it under, underperformed my expectations a little bit in terms of a final. I mean, like, like I want to not necessarily be... You know, too judgmental about it because there are plenty of finals that are cagey or whatever, and, and certainly this had goals. But I think the unfair or not, I think a certain benchmark for weird competitions you don't understand that uh that gratify themselves to you because of a great final is mm. is, is this is the Nations League. I think that the Nations League had a lot of interest. The Nations League final had a lot of interest this summer, and I think that that some of that interest and momentum um, carried over to the All Star Game. Mm-hmm. And yep. I think that some of that interest did, that that I was feeling that when I tuned in to see if if you know something was really about to 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 pop off here. Uh, not really. I think that this was a a fairly standard you know Concacaf Champions League style tie where you know the. Seattle went up or, or um no Seattle uh, you know the two teams traded goals and then at the end uh the uh, club leon scored and and basically you know muscled their way into it. Mm-hmm. I know that Seattle scored late to try and sort of pull themselves back in but I just you know this was this to me did not have the same even though there were like I said, plenty of goals. It wasn't like it was boring, but it didn't quite have the same level of drama or or the same intensity um, that I was, you know, hoping for out of out of what the league certainly hopes is 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 considered to be like a a, a playoff competition at least mm-hmm. by twenty twenty three.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's all fair. I think I I agree with that. I mean, it, it certainly felt like. I mean, it was credit to Seattle for pe- playing a pretty passable first half. They did score the first goal through Christian Roldan. But once Leon sort of switched into a higher gear, they always sort of looked the favorites. And, and it sort of became a the familiar sight of a Liga MX team against an MLS team where even if the MLS team is performing well there's still a pretty big gulf in the ability to generate chances and and get it back into a game that feels like once the Mexican club flips it on, it, you're, you're just sort of playing catch-up, and it seems like a foregone conclusion. And, and that's not to take anything away from a, a game that I thought Seattle managed as well as they could have. I, I don't think Seattle played exactly to their levels and missed a couple of great opportunities, but I still think this is kind of like more or less what you would expect right I think
0: that I, I think so In and, and the other thing that weighed upon my mind somewhat was that I thought um I thought that the, the neutral ground audience in um, Allegiant Stadium in, in Las Vegas mm. there were enough people there for it to be to, to at the beginning of the match have like a, a, a a big match feel in terms of, you know, there was noise, there were people yeah. present. I, however, don't quite feel that, I wonder if it had been at either side's home venue. Had they been able, maybe they might've been able to have a little bit more build to it because I don't think, um, I think both in terms of the action on the pitch and the mood in the stands, hmm. nothing... Nothing was, like, dramatically building towards a, com- a, a, a climax. It just sort of played out by the True. numbers. Yeah. And everybody was like, hey, the soccer was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: yeah. <laughs> I just kind of agree. I was going to be like, you know, it's still it's still a momentous thing for uh, Leon. Uh, it's still a momentous, it's an important milestone for Seattle. Uh, however... A momentous game of soccer it was not um it was interesting that, of course, right before the final, we got news that there was going to be a new format for the league's cup moving forward um as well as implications for the champions league so do you want to talk through those changes
0: yeah so um so essentially you know we've we've long known and we talked a little bit during the all star game about how the leagues want to get you know develop um more competitions together they certainly keep coming up with competitions like this in the in the Campione's Cup um we got the confirmation um on Wednesday essentially the the, the biggest sign yet that both leagues and, and certainly MLS um really want the year to um to hinge on this sort of a, a of a competition they are expanding the league's cup which now is an eight-team, um, sort in- of like an eight-team mid-season competition that which is like an invitational, yeah, invitational teams was supposed to expand to ten teams. Um, if I if I am reading this this piece in the Athletic, I stand Stechko and Billy Bay Cardenas correctly. Um, but uh, oh, it was supposed to expand to sixteen, but uh, but that was rolled back before the pandemic. It is now changing in format yet again to include all 47 teams from MLS and Liga MX Jesus. will take part in a World Cup style tournament that takes place over the course of about a um, over the course of about a month yeah. in in late summer kind of like late July early August they're trying to they're trying to pinpoint the period of time in which there is no uh, English Premier League nor is there NFL on action. They're trying to find that sort of sweet spot in the summer where there's there's sort of open sports real estate in the in the yeah US and global soccer markets. Uh, MLS will continue to MLS will halt its schedule in Liga MX will halt its schedule during that time so there will be no games and this will be what you Don Garber will grab the back of your head and point towards the TV and say, You have to watch this now. You don't have an option
1: Okay, um, I'm just before we go any further, I'm just dying to ask you what do you think of this?
0: Um I I was going to say that it kind of harmed my enjoyment of the final once it really sort of like washed in on me all of the interviews that were happening during the 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 halftime. Um I don't I'm loath to like go so far as to call it sort of like a super league cash grab and I don't necessarily think the idea of um doing some doing doing more is a bad thing. I think that it is being done completely for like the the, the interests it serves are primarily financial. I think that as I saw some people note, Dwayne Rollins noted on Twitter, it takes a month of home, presumably home games away, if it, if they're a neutral site, mm-hmm. like a World Cup, away from during the nicest uh, months to watch soccer. MLS already had a big problem with um, fixture congestion mm-hmm. and, and fitting... MLS Cup in while it's still uh, temperate to watch games, you know? We're already... We're still talking about, like, you know, trying to watch MLS Cup in, in in December. Well, now we're talking about starting the season even earlier so that we can start this competition. I don't... There's something about it. Like, I don't necessarily mind the idea of doing it, say, at the beginning of the season, but it's going to be really weird to... to um. To see where it fits into rhythmically, you're going to be bringing everything to a stop, and then things are going to be uh, restarted. But but you will have gone through a very some teams will have gone through a very physically challenging process, and other teams won't that didn't make the round of sixteen or that didn't make the 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 finals. And I just think like if you if you did nothing in the group stage. And mm-hmm. you go out and then you make MLS Cup, um, how how will how will that be valued? If you win League's Cup and then the the excitement and rush of League's Cup completely <laughs> At drains what you cost. And you all of a sudden you lose your next five games and miss the playoffs, how mm-hmm. will that be what what's gonna be thought of as important? the, the way that we are, I guess, conditioned to assess a, t- a, a team's you know, priorities when it comes to competitions are the strength of schedule, uh-huh. you know, or, or the strength of, of the 11 that they put out for it, like even, you know, games like the Canadian Championship that was going on this week those are, as much as it would be good to win those competitions, games that you're not necessarily always playing against top tech um, top uh, opposition and in general, even if you were games where you have to utilize the full amount of of players that are available to your organization. Yeah. Um the MLS would there's no way that you could use that same sort of squad rotation. You know, like you know when a team that hasn't been in Europa League, you know, makes in in England makes Europa League and they think, "Okay, well we got to sign you know another striker and they'll be kind of our key Europa League striker or something or so and so will be our key Europa League goalie." I have to believe that if any anything like that happened like mm-hmm. if if uh, if one goalie that wasn't the usual starting goalie was told all right we're gonna give you league cup you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna do all of our group games I had to believe that somebody would come down hard on them mm. I am excited about the idea of more interplay between MLS and Liga MX like I said last season I think that the creation of one of a more unified scene is a good thing. I just think that I just find it hard to see how this plays into the interests of fans in terms of creating like, like a good product to watch and and how this will impact people's seasons. It's just like we saw here, uh, how mm-hmm. how excited is MLS going to be if, you know, they have a round of 16 that has two, that has just, uh, that just has New England and Seattle in it? Yeah. How, how, how pumped, how pumped are people going to be by, you know, more games like the, the blowout that Philadelphia had last week? Yeah. How, how... How Do do they think that there's going to be, you know, sort of a broad audience for, like, Cincinnati versus Nehaka?
1: But like... I mean, <laughs> sure. But I mean, I guess the break from MLS play to do this sort of takes some of that away, right? Like, you're not having to do these as midweek games and then quickly decide what your lineup is going to be. But, you, I mean, there's certainly still the issue of managing minutes, as you say, and, and managing injuries at a really crucial time in the season. I mean, it really is the halfway point. And as you say, and and I agree with this. Like I'm I'm excited for the possibilities this sort of like all-out clash between every single team for a month <laughs> seems like a lot. And yeah, and what what happens to the rest of the schedule then? I mean, does MLS consider playing fewer games? To, to try to relieve some of that congestion? Or do you have teams coming out of this intense tournament then all of a sudden having two, three games a week right after that as they head into the playoffs? And as you I say, if if, cl- if MLS clubs are going to value the MLS competition more, then is that going to be a great product to watch if they're using Leagues Cup as an opportunity to just trot out the, you know, their reserves and, and substitutes to see what they can do?
0: I and in in another question in between all this is where does the Concacaf Champions League fit? You know this is supposed yeah. to. It's the three spots in the Champions League that are supposed to matter. But when is that going to be held? You you mentioned the amount of MLS games. That's not going to decrease. Mm-hmm. I think I have one more soapbox thing to say about this, and that's and this is what this this question of the games has come on to me, or is is brought this on to me. The I think the thing. That frustrates me less as an MLS fan, but more as a football fan. When you said, what do you think about this? I wasn't even sitting down and making the preparations. I wasn't start. I wasn't really frustrated until I started thinking about it. But, <laughs> um, there has been a push in world football for more. Yeah. And it's coming from all sides. Yeah. We need the world cup needs to be, needs to have 48 teams in it. It now once it, needs to, be two it to, years. needs to be every two years. We need to have um, a. We need to have a nations league competition so that teams are playing. International teams are playing. Um, friendlies in every single window. We need to have uh, a 47 team club tournament in in addition to the 34 team league, and your national competitions and a continental competition. Um. There, it's just a drive because of the value of global right, the uh, global television rights. Yeah, it's a drive to sh- to to just monopolize your your attention with more. And ultimately, all I can think of is it um it falls on the players. Yeah, I don't necessarily think it would be bad for fans. Except that I think that it will be bad for players, and I don't. And I think that that is bad for fans.
1: Well, and I mean, last year obviously there was a lot of uh, extenuating circumstances, but I sort of felt like we saw that a bit with the MLS's back tournament, and then diving right into a compressed schedule is that ultimately the separate tournament didn't really tell you a lot about the MLS teams because by the time we got to the final, to the playoffs the picture had changed so much because there was an issue of injuries that were picked up in that tournament and i know i'm comparing apples and oranges here but i i think that is right that if you end up needing to carry these massive squads of players and it's a completely different 22 <laughs> from <laughs> domestic cup it's like well what are we achi- what are we really achieving and i think your last point is is uh an apt one to make is just like in service of what? Like, yes, fans are always going to say yes to seeing more of their team play, but it's not really something that we need. It is being driven by the the massive advertising dollars at stake. But if that doesn't result in a high quality product, then I think we do just end up with, you know, like death by a thousand options and as two people that clearly watch a lot of soccer and are Uh, uh, uh. invested clearly invested in growing MLS and growing North American soccer it it becomes kind of hard to stay on top of and to a certain point you just sort of lose a bit of interest because there's just so much happening it's like well okay New England is going to play three games in the next seven but like the sum total of those results isn't going to necessarily tell us all that much you know and we see that play out where teams work in compressed schedules they win one they draw one they lose one and again no real clear narrative emerges and if your team loses on a wednesday but wins on a saturday then you kind of shrug and go like okay i guess we're still in it um I i just feel like it it does complicate the picture a little bit and becomes harder to, to see all those storylines. At the end of the day, something half the size and maybe half the time could be a really viable and fun and entertaining option. I certainly think League's Cup has been entertaining this season, but this feels kind of like sprinting as fast as you possibly can before you've really mastered walking.
0: I totally agree with that. It's just like and and the point you make about the compressed games and, and, and the we say chill soccer because we were in the middle of a global pandemic and remain in the middle of a global pandemic, I it pains me to think about what twenty twenty three may look like. It's just a scary proposition, you know, of 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 what things look like in terms of that. I'm not gonna try and get into that. Mm-hmm. But but we have you know, the 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 sort of drama, what any of sports means, like has has taken a little bit of a hit, and it seems at this point, again, we're still in the pandemic, but it has seemed as though all of the things that have resulted in in uh, compressed schedules, as you as you put it, none of that's going away. Mm-hmm. Five subs are staying midweek. Mm-hmm. Midweek games, midweek league games, uh, you know, more often than not, are staying. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think that, I think that it wouldn't be possible to do this competition if it wasn't. If they didn't think, wow, well, we were able to pull off, we're able to pull off this season and this time thing. So all of a sudden we don't really see a problem, you know, starting two or three weeks earlier and finding an extra two weeks to do this competition.
1: Well, and after all the travel that these teams have been through, too, away from families, and now we're going to ask them to do that for a month every year as well, Um, just completely planned happenstance here. I just happened to open up Twitter, and the the top of my feed is a quote from a hard journalist in Vancouver from Florian Youngworth, who says, "'I can't understand because the schedule is tough in MLS. It's an interesting tournament. It's four weeks and no games in MLS.'" The guys who pay the money, they say we have to take it, but they don't give a shit about our health. So there's a, at least one MLS player chiming in on this,
0: and I agree with that a thousand percent.
1: Yeah, because I mean, yes, turn more tournaments and more competitions, and let's let's grow things. But it, yeah, I I mean, it, it does become a serious issue that if if we need to up it to seven substitutes and. You know, some of these games are going to double added time, etc. That that is an incredible drain on on human bodies, and I think already having congested schedules with two two games a week is is a lot. And now we're we're pushing it, as you say. It just it just continues to barrel on. Anyway, as does MLS, which we also need to talk about.
0: I was just going to say just to just to make this point, and and it's not and uh, and. I'm going to make this point more with the European season because d- there was a, a a you know an off season there was a little bit more of an off season break in MLS but it's like in this in 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 terms of since the pandemic you had um in addition to the MLS ske- in, in addition to the North American um summer to fall spring to fall schedule you had uh, the English Premier League playing the rest of the 2020 season late you had like a one week tops turnaround between the European the end of the European season and the start of the next European season you put you went immediately from that to the Euro and the Copa America you went immediately for that, from that to the Olympics you went immediately to the end you went immediately back into the next European season and and we're going to come to this in then in in 2022
1: because they want to they make back the cash they lost during the pandemic, and that they weren't going to cram in as, as many bodies into as many stadiums as often as they possibly can. Right. Anyway, moving on. Let's talk about a team that last week we had some questions about. Inter Miami. We were talking about how... Phil Neville had kind of said that things had turned around and it was a different team. And both you and I agreed that was not the case. And they were maybe just (laughs) playing some teams that were in some rough patches. (laughs) And boy, did this ever play out since we last spoke. They lost 4-0 to New York Red Bulls. And then they also lost to... Nashville 5-1. So nine Yikers. goals given up in the last week. Things not going exactly as planned for Phil Neville's side. Um, the Red Bulls game, just with an open run at the back line, slides it in. It just seems to sum up everything about Inter-Miami and their, and their defense. Just always flat-footed, always caught ball-watching, nobody really making any sort of challenge. And this is just... Red Bull's running at them all day. Um, Figal gets sent off. And um, it's it just sort of a vintage inter-Miami performance of no real defending, talented players on the pitch playing no discernible system. Um, and then
0: Fabio gets two goals for nothing. <laughs> the, the, the second goal in Miami, New York, is just this... Um, you know, and I, I, I saw your tweet about just sort of like the problems in, in just the devaluing, the, the nosedive in MLS defense. So I'm not necessarily going to, to, to take Inter as the as the the standard for defending in MLS, not at all. But, but the <laughs> <That's a relief. laughs> the throw in, the way this throw in bounces twice through the penalty area. Oh, before uh, before the, the New in, York player says... In front of defenders. Is anybody going to get this?
1: Yeah, hey, hey, Bill, uh, what are you here for? I don't know. What are you here for? I, th- I think we're defending. Oh, oh. All <laughs> oh, the, the balls in the back of the net. It, yeah, it's just so... Like, I, I'm trying to find better adjectives to describe Miami, but it's just so passive. And it's not like at times they, they're not good in possession or develop chances but then they go straight from that game to a game against nashville nashville obviously we know um doing relatively well in mls although they did lose to toronto um but this is just nashville knocking balls into the box with numbers forward and just things getting pinged around in the box and it's it's like a carbon copy of the the, the game earlier in the week um you know, Mukhtar's be able to, to mop up a ball and bury it five minutes in. And you're just like, did they not review tape or, like, have a team talk? <laughs> or we just I see will... the same thing unfold again, except for uh, um, Gonzalo Iguain was able to put Inter-Miami on the board for one in this game.
0: I would say that I don't necessarily, you know, and we don't ever really want to put anybody on full blast. Uh, when it comes to goalkeepers, but I think that that some of the issues that we're talking about about goalkeepers are not necessarily endemic across the league, or, or defense are not endemic across the league to goalkeepers. I don't know that there are a lot of goalkeepers in MLS that I would like that I would categorize as like having bad performances regularly. Mm-hmm. Or else, you know, they get swapped out. Um, the if Marsman is the normal uh, Miami goalkeeper. He had a really, really bad game here. And I think that some of the other worse than some of the other bad Miami games. Mm -hmm. uh, You can really just sort of like chalk up some of the goals here in this 5-1 to to just like, what do I um, he tries to push it. He tries to push it away and ends up like so far out of goal that he needed to kind of put up like a gone gone fishing sign
1: in yeah, there. Yeah, back in five
0: minutes, <laughs> just to let people know he wasn't around. And, and Walker Zimmerman gets the header for two, and then he again is has come out really, uh, really far to try and claim that ball and doesn't do it. And 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 again, there's a goal while he is you know um, not in any Mokta way. One? I want to say this is the third.
1: Yeah, the yeah, I think that's Mukhtar who gets that one. Yeah, and it, it is. I mean, it's Nashville's aggressive forward pressure for sure. I mean, don't for a second think that I I don't think this is Nashville also playing really well. But it's just so easy to strip Inter Miami of the ball in their own half, and yeah. and when they're losing possession, and the player who's just been stripped of the ball also goes down. It's just it's way too passive, and and there's no effort to win the ball back. The the second chances are coming both off the goalkeeper and defenders, and like this is not a team you need to invite. <laughs> I mean, you've got Lial, you've got Mukhtar. Like you don't need to give the you've got um, Mule as well. Like you don't need to give these guys second chances. Um, and Gregory gets sent off with a second yellow. That's three straight matches that uh, Miami has gotten red. So on top of everything else, the the discipline isn't there. And then Alistair Johnston is able to score the, the final one as he runs completely unmarked and unchallenged for Nashville's fifth. And, I mean, I do not know what else to add to the story about Inter-Miami. Um, they're sitting second from the bottom, and it <laughs> feels like they're not going to claim the wooden spoon this year because they're still considerably ahead in points from Cincinnati. But the playoffs, I mean, there's there may not be all that many points. Wait, sorry. I think I had this slightly mixed up. Where's inter Miami. They're ninth. Sorry. I was like, that's not right. Um, they, they're sitting in ninth place, but this sort of continued backslide that, that keeps happening is they're able to put a couple of points on the board, maybe get a win here and there, and then just completely lose it. And going down the stretch here, I mean, DC is in form. All the teams above them are playing well, um, it just feels like it's not going to be enough and really feels like the only good things about Inter-Miami are just flashes in the pan, really. Just a couple of moments here and there of brilliance from one of the Iguains and you're like, cool! And then Step inside the it.
0: mind of... Sorry. That's it. <laughs> Step inside the mind of Gonzalo Iguain in the middle of your team's, you know, multi-goal meltdown to be like... What did I sign up for? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just not a good time there. Um,
0: minus. Inter- sorry, go ahead. Totally a, a minus fifteen goal differential. Um, there's only uh, in 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 the another team in the East that I think is another one when I think of when I think of that. Sort of helpless defending is Chicago. Sorry, guys, I'm gonna.
1: (laughs) We got it. We got it. We got to talk about the truth, and the truth is, Chicago got blanked again.
0: It's been that was a that was a rough week because they got. uh, I think that was rough in the midweek and in the. um...
1: Yeah, it was. The midweek game, I think, was Montreal-Chicago. That was five straight games without a goal for uh, Chicago Fire. Raphael Wicke somehow still has a job after the end of all of this. Um, That was a very slow first half. There was really nothing in the way of chances for either side. Kyoto was causing all sorts of problems for Chicago in the second half, and then he's able to squeak one in in the 53rd minute. Then just another easy ball in, finds Hamdi, Hamdi scores. Montreal wins this one very very easily chicago really not looking like they have much in it and then kind of put on a slightly almost interesting display against new england <laughs> um but i fe- and i feel like new chicago was able to unlock the fact that new england really has struggled on dead ball situations a lot this season and you can certainly pick up goals against them on set plays um and Chicago was able to squeak in a couple of goals. I, I thought overall it was an okay performance. But f- to finally get a few of the things right and score some goals and just be so just dead defensively, uh, really letting New England back into this one, um, I, I thought was like almost sort of worse than just <laughs> outright losing it. Like to do one part right and be like, all right, yeah, we scored two goals and we still lost. Um, I, I felt like, yes, it's New England, but I, I felt like Chicago could have maybe grabbed a point out of this one with a bit more focus. But, I mean, we've tried to dissect the problems with Chicago, and they are many.
0: Uh, New England's, yeah, I think that stoppage time goal from Carlos Hill really just like is what is it. is. First of all, is, you know, we want to talk about it is time to, you know, we've, we've, We've got into that mode. New England becomes the first team to qualify for sure for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, leading the leading the pack, and and heel uh, heel's goal in, in their ability to you know not be shaken out, um, I guess showcases their what is, you know the tenacious qualities that hopefully will 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 allow them to perform well once the playoffs hit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a team that probably doesn't have to worry about the playoffs but is certainly playing like they have to worry about the playoffs is Toronto this week. Uh, to everybody's surprise, um, they were able to squeak past Nashville and deliver Nashville their just their third loss of the season. Um, it was just a simple direct ball over the top uh, early on that finds Schaffelberg, who scores. Um TFC really having the better chances through the first half and and Nashville not quite looking like they know what hit them. And then Leal catches TFC on the counter, finds CJ Sapong with a, a really beautiful cross, makes it 1-1. And then there's a free kick. Um, Soteldo just loops a high ball in to find Omar Gonzalez lurking at the far post to head home for a just kind of stunning 2-1 Toronto win. That uh, means nothing, because they're still at the bottom of the table with only 18 points. But I think Seb- that it's something of promise to see some players with a bit of fight come out and make a statement that they desperately needed to make. Um, so, like, well done to Toronto for a win that doesn't really help
0: them right now. Sebastian Javinko appearing in the, st- the stands and giving them that uh, that old-style energy. Um, it's amazing
1: what <laughs> what that can do to lift the energy, and perhaps in the back of uh, some players' minds as well about your starting spot to have Giovinco in attendance.
0: Yeah, it's been um, it's been a tough time uh, for Toronto, and, and the I think that you're that I wouldn't necessarily look for them to be, you know competing in any in any reasonable way in the blast and i think that that maybe is not how they're thinking they've they've made their interim coach you know i don't know if it's for the rest of the season but at least i don't know if it's past the season but at least for the rest of the season they've made clear they're not going to um replace their their interim coach um i think that this is really just a question of we've got to like you know make the most of we've got to make the most of what we have and 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 certainly Toronto, I don't think that the pieces, the the pieces I don't think in any way are the problem for Toronto. I think they've had, maybe that's not, maybe there's, I guess, more that they could be doing in terms of recruitment on the defensive end. But, you know, they've got people who can score. They've got people who, who, you know, who can structure. Um, I just, you know, they have to be able to, to be able to work through their game plan. They, not to jump ahead to the Canadian championship, but they, um, they put four past York United, um, in midweek. And I think that that's just a, uh, a testament to how much easier it is to play when you can play with the ball at your feet. Yeah. And you and, can, well, you can play passes through the box.
1: Uh, yeah. And no, I, I agree. I think Toronto's lineup isn't, isn't the whole problem by any stretch, but they've just had such a, a disappointing midfield this season and, and just getting bossed around on every part of the pitch. It, it feels like the moments of brilliance that they have had. And I would say this game against Nashville was finally different from this, but sort of over relying on, um, you know, Lorea to come in and do something incredible, but really just wasting much of the possession that they have or, or unable to keep the ball for so much of it. Just there's no fluidity to their play this season at all. So I I agree I think it's a lot of things, but it is interesting that to now have some some lift or some momentum behind them. It'll be interesting to see how long it lasts and while they certainly at 18 points are a, a fair distance away from a playoff spot. Um it certainly is going to cause lots of problems for the teams above them because if they're able to continue to scrape points off of it, Toronto is not likely to get in, but they may have a really crucial role to play in deciding who doesn't get in. Yeah. And, um, and I think players playing for positions and uncertainty around the future of the team means that the players have every reason to see this as a, a competition for whether or not they want to come back next year.
0: I think that, like, uh, I'm... I'm... I'm adding the numbers together here, and and I think that one of the things to to consider is that despite the fact that overall, um, in in, in a little bit in terms of this this performance and, and what they've been able to make of it, Toronto were minus twenty three over the course of the season. Um, but through uh, six games at BMO Field, they're minus in the league. They're minus one. Yeah. And the, and they also then have the games in the Canadian Championship that they come out. But yeah, home games um, with the
1: fans in attendance could could be a key role for them.
0: Something about that energy. Again, I don't necessarily think that that is going to result in you know in, in playoffs. But but a lot of their worst moments, a lot of the darkest hours for Toronto this year have come away from BMO Field. Um, they're mm-hmm. not the only teams to have dealt with you know having to play home games away but i think that that is re- when you're when you're trying to assess like what's the diff how is this different what what might have changed i think that that does play a role to it and i think that you can look at that in terms of their their form in the other games that they've played the four draws mm-hmm. and two lost four no seven so it would be four draws two losses one win um the um uh, i think that at this point, they have trapped themselves in a in a room uh, at the bottom of the standing with no escape. But they have a chance to uh, learn. They're doing an escape room with themselves to learn uh, <laughs> to learn to learn a little bit more about themselves before they uh, they embark on uh, on next year's challenges like
1: team building who? really takes on a different context when you're literally playing for your job and to see who's will be on the team next year but who who are we
0: how do we get here how do we not do this next time
1: yeah what? let's let's win let's win a game and <laughs> let's win two games in fact um Visiting our, following some threads here, visiting our old friend Greg Vanny in uh, L.A., Minnesota was able to find a a little bit of return to form with an emphatic 3-0 win over them. Uh, Minnesota haven't really looked up to it lately, but neither have the Galaxy. And I sort of felt like this was like L.A. Galaxy dressed 11 and they put them out there and Minnesota played a game around them. Two from the returned Reynoso, which is an interesting prospect for Minnesota's playoff chances. And also one from Ethan Finley, which puts Minnesota at 34 points at that seventh playoff position in the West.
0: I think with the challenges that Minnesota have had, it is, um, you know, probably they're going to count themselves a little lucky to still be in the hunt for this.
1: Definitely. But I, I think they're still in with a shout. Um, I, I think that they've got opportunities to to make up some points. Interestingly, and this blows my mind because I can't really remember the last time LA Galaxy won a game, uh, they're still sitting in fourth in the playoffs. So I think early performances in the season for LA has certainly helped, but uh, they need to start finding some points again as those losses are starting to stack up.
0: I felt that, uh, at least for that first Reynoso goal, um, it was on four minutes, and I feel like the LA defense, just like you said, was stock still. There didn't seem to be a lot of uh, there didn't seem to be a lot of verve to it at all. No, no, no particular like you know, did not seem enthused. No.
1: Elsewhere in the league, uh, news out of Dallas as head coach Luchi Gonzalez was relieved of his duties, and Dallas lost three-two to Houston. Now, uh, um, just
0: just to help me and my poor brain, uh, what order do those events occur in?
1: Uh, I, If I'm remembering correctly, I think that the—when did the firing happen? I'm just checking the date on this. Sunday, September 19th, and I'm pretty sure the game was midweek. So I believe that they fired the coach and then lost because they fired him after last week's poor results and giving up so many goals again. Um, A lot of people asking Mm. questions about whether or not this is necessarily fair, if this is really the right time to be doing it for Dallas. Um, I felt like Dallas kind of gave a similar reason as Vancouver gave for firing Mark Dos Santos. And it's not that you're bad, it's just that you're not that good. And now is the time to make a change. But a lot of people also bringing up the question that, I mean, Luchi Gonzalez was about as tailor-made a coach for Dallas as you could find and really understood the importance of developing youth. And I, I feel like people felt like he was doing that. So it, it kind of raises the question, was this the right call to make at the right time? Um, or was this a mistake?
0: Um, Hard to feel like it was. I mean, like, I know that it's been tough for Dallas and I don't know if the... I know that they're not in, not in a playoff position and I know they also are maybe feeling a as the star of Ricardo Pepe rises feeling a little bit of the pressure of thinking like this is this is our like like this is a roster this is a win now roster for us with the they idea did. that a, that a, that a player like him won't be around that long um and and I don't know if that you know plays a role in their um in what they in the pressure they felt to make this move um, I think I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a sense for what their last, um, this is a team that, you know, was, that had the, the first overall position in 2016 and mm-hmm. t- has slowly, you know, slowly sort of slid down since then and is not, I think that, that if you look at, I, I agree with you. That the that Gonzalez is such a great pick, and that he is is fit this 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 youth first you know mentality that Dallas has had. I think that that they wouldn't have the same ability to um, to do to you know perform the same amount if they had not um, if they had if, if. I'm I'm looking at a couple things right now to 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 form my point. If they they are in this position because of the the academy structure and everything they've put together, and mm-hmm. he has helped some of these players develop. Um, but I think that you bring up the Mark Dos Santos um, comparison, and ultimately this is he did come in in the 2018 2019 off season, and um, that was a team that was sixth overall in mm-hmm. the league, fourth in the conference, it was out in the playoffs and and wanted more. Yeah. You know, and and since then it's been seventh seventh in the conference, out in the first round, uh sixth in the conference, and they made it to the quarterfinals in twenty twenty. Um if I think that I can kind of understand a little bit that if that if you if you can't uh make the playoffs in those situations that that really creates a problem for you Mm -hmm. I do and and ultimately this is a point in the season early enough where (laughs) however misguided teams feel like they might be able to make that you know might be able to make that switch
1: it's just wild to me that in a market where it seems like it, you know, it's not easy to get good people on short notice, that the teams still feel confident enough. I mean, they did hand over the reins to um, Marco Ferruzzi, who's been with the coach uh, since, or been with the Dallas organization since two thousand and four. But I, I sort of feel like this is a situation where Dallas probably could have ridden it out till the end of the season, and if they had missed the playoffs then I think people would have felt this was maybe still sad, but somewhat more justified. Whereas I think right now people are are feeling like, well, you know, Lucci gave so much to this club. He hadn't lost the locker room or anything like that. Players nope. obviously believed in his system and and he believed in them. I, I tend to agree. I don't think that this is ultimately the wrong call for Dallas, but the timing of it, I don't really see... I I get the point. They've been conceding a ton of goals. They've been losing important games. They need to snap this winless streak. However, clearly that didn't the old uh, coaching mix-up didn't do the trick to get the fired coach bump
0: (laughs) to to win.
1: And and now that I think they're in an even more precarious position to to try to stay positive and, and push towards that playoff spot with seven points to go. Uh, I mean they're going to have to dig really deep and I also think Dallas has been a team that's really gone through the academies but might need to face the reality at some point that they've got to spend some serious DP money to make a a stronger push and (laughs) you can't squeeze blood from a stone at some point you just hit your ceiling. I think Um, that's
0: one of the the, the things that that gives me a problem about this is that I look at this roster and it doesn't necessarily look like a win... With the exception of the fact that Pepe is probably going to be... You know... Uh, somebody's going to come for him eventually. Yeah. It doesn't look like a win-now roster to me. No. It doesn't look like one where you think... Like, you know... Where you think, okay, well, this is a this is an aging core. Or this is an expensive core. Or this is... You know... This is one where we really have to try and, and make something with what we have. Because we might not have it this next year. This is mm-hmm. not... This is not a windows closing team to me.
1: No, and and I think you run into a, an issue that I, I think Philadelphia has found themselves in a little bit, although Philadelphia is clearly okay with spending some big money, but with your constant youth development is that you're not always getting the best years out of your young players because they're ascending so quickly. So you have... Uh, I mean, for Philadelphia, obviously, they did great with Brendan Aronson, but... Um, you know, you imagine Dallas as they are right now is like a, a decently competitive team, but without Ricardo Pepe is this sort of it factor for them. It, you're like, well, that's, <laughs> that's a lot of goals and momentum he's been able to provide. Um, and so you have these, these, these amazing young players come through to score goals during a crappy season for you. Um, Yes, financially makes a lot of sense, but I think you sh- a good team is also able to, able to capitalize on the player's talent for uh, a push as well. So uh, I don't know. I I think that it's it's a little bit harsh. I get Dallas is wants to do something different, but the fact that it <laughs> so far hasn't worked doesn't seem
0: to bode very well. This this game against uh, Houston, I feel like is the is the competition of two teams that. Um that are always exciting to watch but, you know, haven't been able to uh, to translate that into, you know, table position um, mm-hmm. in recent years. And um, Quinn Dorsey uh, collects on the back post from Pico and then supplies Pico for a second goal. Um, Darwin Quintero takes the pin past Felipe Strong into the corner. O'Brien with you know Dallas losing three nothing. O'Brien scores twice, including in stoppage time, to try and you know pull something out of this. You know you have some people in 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 Dallas <laughs> who are. Yeah. It's not a it's not an organization that has no fight to it. Absolutely
1: not. No. Uh, speaking of teams with some fight to them, kind of unexpected results uh, was also RSL getting three big points against Seattle um, in a game that I really felt like Real Salt Lake just went for it. Uh, very, very aggressive midfield and forward pressure, a really strong start, a few half chances uh, early on for RSL. And then it's just a great ball in from Herrera who finds Crylock lurking between the two defenders. And he scores lots of yellows in this one. I was really surprised no one was sent off. Um, and Seattle with a couple of late chances, but overall just looking kind of tired and, and a bit bewildered by what was <laughs> unfolding before them. Um, but you would be remiss to think this was just a RSL scoring a lucky goal and then sitting back and absorbing pressure. I really felt like they took this game to Seattle and and showed again that they are going to be an issue if they stay in the playoffs uh, teams cannot count on an easy win over this r s l squad
0: that that going all out I honestly think is is salt lake 's best look, especially at home in front of their home fans
1: absolutely absolutely, and in a league where like defense is not strong, <laughs> I think that 's absolutely the environment that you do that um, if you 're going to lumensfield, is it called now in Seattle, whatever it is um,
0: yeah
1: then yeah, you maybe play a little bit more conservatively, but I agree. RSL on the front foot is is always uh, a pleasure to watch.
0: Do the math for me here. Uh, speaking of trying to go into teams' energetic venues, mm. San Jose gets mm-hmm. the gets the hat trick at home in front of their own hand, fans and can't win, and then gets just two goals from trophies away in Austin. And yet uh is able to uh to return from Texas with three points.
1: Uh I don't know. I think this is San Jose math. Um boy. <laughs> it's, San Jose can be so fun to watch, but it it's really it's just not good how many goals they concede every game. I mean, five minutes in, it's chaos in the box and Drewisi just runs through it all and scores. and, and it, I feel like This is the thing. Even the games that San Jose wins, you have no idea at any point in the game until the final whistle goes whether or not San Jose is going to be able to win it. It's just like... uh, It's it's a lot to take in. Um, It it was sort of trading back and forth. Lopez was able to get on the end of a nice corner um, that really didn't look all that threatening, but he somehow directs it into the top corner and Stuver can't get there. Then it's ring to Gallagher. San Jose doing the Inter-Miami trick of just not challenging literally any ball, <laughs> uh, making it 2-1 Austin. Then Ring has a free run. Nobody puts any pressure on him. He fires home to make it 3-1 before the second half. We've entered uh, the
0: Ring phase of this game.
1: Yes. <laughs> the the champion's ring. Um, and then in the second half, Espinoza breaks through to pull one back for San Jose. So now it's 3-2 early on in the second half. Then... Toledo gives a, what I think is a fairly soft penalty. Uh it's called a handball. It's from foot to hand off one of the defenders. Trophy scores. Then Stuver gets into some antics and and doing some body checking, and somehow he stays on. Um just scenes happening, um, and, and Austin really losing their cool in this one, and then Trophy shoots Staver Stuver saves it but it bounces back and Chofis beats him on the second ball. Um, And then Alexander Ring feeling left out of the action is sent off for a second yellow, which I I think was the right call. Um, There was a a brief chance towards the end um, where Marcinkowski clearly uh, or nearly coughs one up towards the end. Um, it, It was a strange game and some not great calls, but I also feel like San Jose deserved to win this one.
0: The trophies, uh, the, the, the second one, I love this, this uh, the rebounds um, where they, you know, uh, where he it takes it from the top of the box and it's saved and it was both taken and saved with such ferociousness that it bounces right back to him at the top of the box where he takes it again. Um, this penalty reminds me, there were a couple of good ones taken this week and, and, and there was one thing I forgot to mention during the League's Cup that I think is also also true of this penalty, which is if you take your penalties hard into the corner, it's fine. Taylor Twalman on the League's Cup broadcast sat there and said, you know, this guy always takes penalties to the left of the keeper, and he knows that the goalkeeper has looked at where people have taken penalties. So do you think that maybe he's going to take it to the right? Because it'll be... Like a, like a, like a, like a surprise. And then he takes it right to the left of the keeper and he scores because he takes it fast into the corner. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not a problem. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, that's the, that's the thing. People get stressed about these penalties. But if you take them fast down into the corner, it is not, it is not the biggest science that you, it is a science and it is something you can practice. But it's not magic.
1: No, no. And you, like, the the stats favor the goal score <laughs> you know like the the stats favor the guy getting to take a, a free kick from a few yards out against a goalkeeper um i yeah i totally agree people act like it's it's all got to be this wizardry trickery and mind games and like yeah you can do that you can also just smash it as hard as you fucking can into the corner down low and believe me it's super hard to actually save that even if you're great <laughs> anyway, interesting results uh, I don't know what to say about San Jose Other than never change, guys Keep it interesting As ever, they are in 10th in the Western Conference currently Yeah, maybe chasing a playoff spot uh, As ever, we know that right up until the the playoff teams are decided They are going to cause problems for teams above them um, So that will definitely keep things interesting in the West
0: to your point about deserving it, it's like we we bemoaned last week that they were able to score so much and they couldn't, you know, manage to maybe hold a couple in. This is definitely a game that was like that. But ultimately, you know, you you look at it, it's just like would they have to have worked so hard if they didn't, if they weren't down three nothing to begin with? Yeah. But hey, but hey, they did it or not three nothing. But if they weren't, if they if they didn't concede the three goals. Uh, would they would they have to have um, worked so hard to fight back? But hey, they did it.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think at a certain point they just sensed the blood in the water for Austin, and you got to think Gary Smith's seat is getting a little hot over there with the seemingly getting fired for anything now. Um, not a <laughs> string of results for Austin. Um, but I still think overall as a product on the field, I would so much rather watch Austin play than Inter-Miami at this point. Like, it, there's still at least a semblance of a formation and a system and ideas and goal scoring and, like, occasionally even defending, just not so much in this one.
0: Uh, we had the—in in, Houston-Dallas, we had the stoppage time not an equalizer, and uh, we also saw that in Atlanta, D.C., the failed comeback, unfortunately—
1: yeah yeah just sort of um comes up short for dc who have been on a a decent run of form lately um barco just scores a absolutely stunning free kick um to put atlanta up one nothing early on in the second half um and then he's able to thread the needle for joseph martinez who easily scores um and it's sort of just looking like all atlanta but then felipe comes on and fires this just absolute cannon of a volley from at least 35 yards out, I think um, is able to just mop up that second ball seems to be the theme this week and scores. Then Moreno dribbles through half of DC United and finally finds Bello in the box who scores, making it three one. And finally Edison Flores is able to slam a goal home and DC push and they push and they push, but a, a decent performance from Atlanta and, and from DC but um Atlanta looking a little different these days um from what we've seen of them as late and, and a lot more life and fight to them and they are now sitting 6th in the playoffs um with momentum
0: behind them. Yeah, uh the you know this is what you, we talked about this being what uh what we wanted from to you know great performances from from Martinez and I think I don't want to say consistently yet, but you know we're seeing a lot. Um, I think that we're seeing a better season from Ezekiel Barco than we've seen in a long oh, time. Yeah, yeah, um, undoubtedly. And and you know with with the with yet another amazing amazing free kick as the first goal in this game. Yeah. Um. And it'll be interesting. They they are those last couple spots are you know. Are kind of anyone's game if you step up form-wise to take it, um, you know, Orlando's sitting in fourth, and they're still getting you know pummeled three-one by Philadelphia. Hmm. So I think that you know the the last four spots in that conference almost, you know, that's Orlando's on thirty-eight and four, New York City is in. Uh, New York City is in third on thirty nine points. And DC is sitting outside of the playoffs on, um, on thirty four points. So that New York, the the third place team in the East, is not two games ahead of the team outside of the playoffs.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and, and while momentum wise, you wouldn't think Inter Miami is really too much of a threat. I, you know, I think Columbus has shown they've put together some okay performances. Red Bulls. Same. They're not quite out of the woods just yet, but twenty seven points, there's still hope of a, a playoff spot for them and they they certainly seem to be taking that seriously. So yeah, it it is interesting in the East because I think the table right now sort of belies where um where people might end up. It it's just sort of where they stating <laughs> it's just where they are right now. Um but just that I think that there is gonna be a lot of movement down the final stretch. Um, An example of this is Columbus sitting uh, in 10th, played first place New England, and was able to eke out a point there. Um, Eli Room really coming up clutch for Columbus and and saving at the death. I think New England will be disappointed they didn't win this one, but it's a great ball to uh, Gyasi Zardes to get him on the board. Um, And it's, you know, it's a mistake from Columbus that gives up this goal to Adam Buxa. However, I thought overall a, a pretty Okay, performance from Columbus, and again, just keeping things interesting. You know, like <laughs> thirty-one points. That's just four behind Philadelphia. Yes, DC hasn't been in good form, but if you're Columbus, you feel like they they have the push in them to make some challenge for a playoff spot this season.
0: New York Red Bulls give New York City, uh, who are out of the playoffs, gives currently give and, and on the outside looking in of that give uh, New York City a, a bloody nose uh, with at home with a uh, a stoppage time penalty after New York City had already gotten a street red. Ismail Elfath gave Keaton Parks a straight red. I didn't see the close-up replay on that. I'm not sure how much I feel about straight red. But Chanel also got a handball that led to the penalty. The, I think... Uh, and I, it's like yellow on that.
1: Yeah, I think the Keaton Parks sending off was... It. Uh, Yeah. At first glance, I was sort of like, does that need to be a red? But he's coming in from behind with studs up. There's also follow through into the ankle. Uh, I I feel like just because it doesn't result in an injury doesn't mean that it's not a red. It's still a dangerous play from behind that the player has no idea about. Um uh, so I'm okay with the call because I don't think it's a clear and obvious error. I think he he gives a red card, and I think they review it and go, like, yeah, there's, there's cause for that. Is it a little harsh? Have we seen that same kind of tackle receive a yellow? Of course. But uh, for me, I think the more egregious thing is that there's eight minutes of added time somehow, <laughs> um, which is what allows the Red Bulls to win a PK in the 96th minute from a handball, which... Honestly, it seems like a handball to me, even if it is a harsh one. I, I think that it's fairly clear. Klamala scores. Did the Red Red Bulls deserve a point? Probably not, but I don't necessarily disagree with the calls as the as the reason for um is the only reason why this one went this way.
0: In a lovely middle of, of scheduling for me, you have them you know, get this this uh, this huge stoppage time equalizer at home. And then uh immediately the two are gonna play each other again on the weekend I <laughs> uh, yeah, love it at Yankee Stadium I kind of you don't see that you don't see that uh you don't see that very often in soccer that sort of home at home scheduling, but I think it can be really fun, especially for local rivals
1: absolutely. New York City also was able to pick up uh point f- or three points from Cincinnati earlier in the week. uh Brenner was able to score for Cincinnati first uh, only three minutes in as well. Um, However, it was uh, Keaton Parks, who this was, again, the game before the one we just discussed, who scored the header off a decent cross in. Um, And then Ted Uncle gives a very soft penalty against Cincinnati. Castellanos, of course, scores that one. Cincinnati actually really did keep pushing in this one, but then Barial is sent off, and then Atanga is sent off. (laughs) Just a terrible and frustrated uh, foul, so it ends 2-1 for New York City FC and Cincinnati. Doing Cincinnati things, a little bit of fight in them, but holy God, what a dumpster fire.
0: I turned up to uh, Vancouver, Colorado uh, in the second half when it was already tied 1-1, and not a lot happened. (laughs) Correct. yeah. (laughs)
1: Another week, another goal conceded on a set play while Vancouver try and fail to zonally mark on a corner is really fun and cool to see. Um, Vancouver started with three at the back, which I just... We talked about this last week, and I don't want to rant about it, but uh, come on. (laughs) I feel like it did create some problems for Colorado sending more players forward. I get it because we don't have a full squad of healthy fullbacks to play for at the back necessarily. But I really didn't feel like Dahomey was comfortable with his defensive position. Um, and it's an awful lot of ground that you're expecting those wingers to cover if they've got to tuck in at the back and, and drop into a five. Um, however, Brian White is doing Brian White things and scores and rescues a point off the top bar and in. And a lot of people sort of saying the thing that none dared speak for a while, which is... Brian White is kind of better than Lucas Cavallini. Like, he's really at good. least in, ter- in really terms good. of a, in terms of a product, in terms of output. Of course, Cavallini's been on international duty and has had injury issues, but completely anonymous in this game. Outside of getting frustrated, you know, yes, he can draw some good fouls, but Cavallini, for me, really needs to turn up the gears here and start producing because, uh, you know, I like Lucas Cavallini and I, I think that he's a great player, but. The, the output also needs to be there and the, and the contribution to the team. And it feels like right now Cavallini is a, a bit of a kind of the man on the outside at the moment and doesn't really seem to easily fit into this system. And I think Vancouver has got to be asking some hard questions about how much money uh, they're paying Cavallini to not do what Brian White is doing.
0: I can't uh, I I I am a defender of Cavallini, but I can't um I can't contest that without, you know, hard evidence. Like, I want it
1: to be wrong, but I don't feel
0: like it is. I can't contest that without hard evidence. Brian White's been great and and he has it's almost like him and I mean this, you know, not necessarily in a negative way, it's like he he's not the point of of, of the team, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. getting him here was, he was a, he was a, he in no way has had to shoulder any of that pressure mm-hmm. to, to, to perform or to be that, to be the, the big guy for the team in the way that Cavallini had to do at the start of the year. Um, so it's almost like in some ways, some of the success, maybe at some points in the season felt like an afterthought because it's like, well, that's nice. It's not really what we're doing, but it's nice. And then you have to realize like, but it's, it may be one of the best things we have going.
1: And I think it is because I think Brian White is a direct striker. And we talked about it when he, you were the one that brought it up in the first place that what he was doing for Red Bulls in a team that had a chaotic attack and a chaotic defense, Mm -hmm. a player that can just mop up balls and just play as a poacher is exactly the thing that you need when you're having trouble scoring goals. And that's exactly what we saw against Colorado. Colorado was clearly the better team, um, and Vancouver was able to generate very little forward play. But on the key chances, Brian White is in the right place. And even when he's not scoring, those chances are still coming, and he's still getting many more shots on goal or better looks at goal than Cavallini is. Yes, in an ideal world, we've got them both firing on all cylinders as a a deadly striker combination. But right now it sort of feels like you know, you let De homemade do his free runs into the box and you've got Brian White lurking there as a as a target man who can score with his feet and his head. That's kind of the attack that you need.
0: I agree with that. And and he brings hmm, the Whitecaps for so long have had this idea of like sending a striker to the moon. Yeah. And uh and I don't necessarily think that's the right idea, but certainly Brian White is the guy. You know, that's he's he's somebody that has been able to do that in a in a way that they've never been able to pull off. Sartini and, loves the Christmas tree, and it, and he's the great choice to be the uh, the tip he's of the spear, the
1: angel at the top. <laughs> <laughs> I would also like to confirm that now both of Brian White's uh, parents follow us on Twitter. So the, the content, at least, is, is really helping develop our New York audience.
0: We love that um, content. We love we New love York.
1: That, we love New York. And we love Brian White because he's one of the, the few bright points to an otherwise uh, somewhat dulled Vancouver attack at points. Um. A couple of other quick results here. Philadelphia won a, a pretty perfunctor, perfunctory one over uh, Orlando. A much-needed win for Philadelphia, and Orlando not at all looking comfortable in this game.
0: Two goals post- for Shabilko, who I had, who I, I was surprised to hear, but I guess it makes sense that he hasn't scored for two months.
1: Yeah, it's it's been a spell, but um, certainly encouraging signs that he was able to get a brace in in this game. Um, and then Portland came up big against LAFC. Um, just LAFC continuing to to not clear properly. It's an early ball um, that finds Espria, who's able to head home uh, from this just sort of like beach volleyball style play. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the floor is lava. It's just bouncing around everywhere, and Espria's like, "I'll have that one," and uh, heads it in handily. LAFC does win a PK on a very soft handball shout, but um, it, which comes actually after a free kick just outside the box. And a, a, sli- a slightly dicey call. I don't know exactly what the player is supposed to do as he's turning away from the ball, but Arango scores. Sifuentes um, almost catches Clark off his line, but it clatters just off the post. LAFC definitely fought for this one, um, but then Blanco sends one in. It looks like it takes a deflection off of someone's arm, but it falls to Fuchive who is completely unmarked at the far post because that's just what we do in MLS. And that's the end of that.
0: Uh, Portland
1: was able to add another towards the end, but then it was deemed offside by like a centimeter. But I guess that's still offside. I don't think Portland will mind too much. Uh, Three big points on the board for them. And as we look towards things in the West That means Portland is sitting comfortably at fifth with 37 points. LAFC just outside of the playoffs now with 33 points because of the Minnesota win. So things, some heat under Bob Bradley to get some performances out of LAFC. But a struggling Portland side at times certainly seems to have found their shooting boots.
0: Good position for them to be in. Not bad. We mentioned uh, York-Toronto. There were other uh, Canadian championship games. Of consequence, I uh, particularly had my eyes on Wanderers grounds for Halifax versus Montreal. And if you, if you, if you were uh, thinking of you know a team, a team with middling performance, um, going to the away, the 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 charming local ground of a Canadian Premier <laughs> League side and conceding the first goal, could this be magic again for Halifax? No. Um, <laughs> Corey Vett, um dispossesses uh, Masial and um, is able to hit this amazing strike. The first goal is uh, is is something to remember. Um, but uh, Miljevic uh, scores seven minutes later to even up. Halifax is able to you know is able to hold things until the very end. Um, but Brogiard plays in Balu Tabla. Uh, on the 89th minute to put uh, to first put Montreal up. 2-1, two, two, Halifax tries their best to try and you know repeat that uh, performance from the York United game, uh, but is a little scattered in their attacking and Tabla is able to hit him again two minutes later. Oops. Almost! The, uh, the, the, the... The potential draw of penalties was there uh, was was dangling there for them for a second, um, but in fact it was Montreal that will advance. Um, Forge beats Valor two one. The red card to Valor, who just uh, saw their head coach get fired, uh, and Pacific beats Cavalry one um, nothing to advance, presumably to play Toronto sometime. And didn't Phil DeSantos Santos join the league? That was the other half of it Rob Gale of, of valor um, got uh, got dismissed from the Winnipeg Club as as head coach and GM citing uh, a, a recent run of poor results and it is uh, it is the recently himself dismissed Phil dos Santos the man behind the man in Vancouver um, who uh, the the brother of Mark dos Santos who will now get a chance to uh, to um, get his own command down in the
1: Canadian Premier League. Yeah. Uh, nice to see him landing on his feet. Um, but it, it sort of sucks. I see p- a lot of people kind of upset over the news. that I mean, Rob Gale really was instrumental in bringing the team to Winnipeg in the first place. And I think this is going to be a, a somewhat bitter one to, to swallow for them. Um, I'm very interested to see what Philip DeSanto's coaching style looks like.
0: When you have somebody that is as... I would say that when you have somebody that is, is is instrumental to a team, you would kinda want to finish out the you know, we talk about finishing out the year. You yeah. would wanna in Canadian Premier League it's a little different because there's there's different chances to move up the table as the as the season moves on. There's not that many teams so you could still think well wow, there's a there's a chance to go for this. Um the you would kinda want to give a figure like that a chance to resign if they weren't happy with the results you know to say like well i need i need to step back to give to give you know somebody else a shot and the fact that this didn't happen makes me feel like we've got a second there will be a there will be a second coming of rob gale at this team because just you know just one of those situations where they don't know where to turn and they have a club legend that everybody loved. Yeah. Even if they even if the results weren't necessarily there.
1: Mhm. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, I know it's a, it's a results-based business, but um you know, sometimes as we've seen clubs decide to to move prematurely on from a coach um that's maybe just going through a difficult patch with the team and and it doesn't always pan out. So it'll be interesting to see how things go. Um, also of note Pacific picked up a Pacific FC picked up a great um, win over Cavalry um, which was one certainly had people talking I wouldn't have necessarily put Pacific FC as the underdogs in this one but I feel like other people felt differently until well, the, the reason end of
0: for the... that I think would be that Cavalry has been so dominant in uh, in in KPL yeah. since the the inception of the league but I think that what the Whitecap specific game showed is that they have been putting a real season together. And there would be a mistake, you know, it, it it has not always been teams like Pacific and Halifax have not always been considered, you know, the top the top of the top when it comes to this league. mm mm-hmm. Is not necessarily in the same yeah. position Pacific is, but I think that it would be a mistake to not look in Pacific in the same light as you would have looked at a cavalry, or you would have looked at a, a forge um, before this year.
1: Totally. totally,
0: yeah. And it'll be fun whenever. I think the the talk about TFC, which never time found time to face Forge in the twenty twenty Canadian Championship Championship Final, which everybody insisted was going to be played at some point. So the next question is when TFC is going to be able to play that game um but uh mm-hmm. but if uh if that happens it you know you have a team that has a uh, that has has a win against the m l s side and certainly would love is is sitting at the top of the standings and certainly would would love to um make some more memories absolutely until then uh until until the potentially never time when that happens when can we find you online?
1: <laughs> Until never, you can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. You can find this podcast at That's So, MLS, so MLS.com on Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your fine podcasts.
0: Please, Please do rate, that. review, and subscribe. Where can we find fo- you can find where me can online, we find on, you on Twitter online. at Team Bates, www.team-debates.com. And you can find me at Canada Game Stadium uh, this weekend um, as the UMB Reds of U Sports. They're uh, they're coming for the first of four games. Uh, the the top tier of Canadian university action comes to town, and uh, and I will be stadium announcing as they face UPEI on the twenty sixth at one p.m. and three fifteen p.m. Beautiful. Well.
1: Until next time. If you're don't already get losing in the game, just off. don't get
0: sent off.